Welcome to episode three of AngelCast with your hosts Adam Cunis, Andy Burton and Matt Hinton. Uh, this week on AngelCast we're going to uh, be talking in the match play section about Bobo 2018. In the narrative section I'm going to be talking a little bit about how I start armies, build them and choose a paint scheme for them. And then in open play we're going to be talking about some of our favourite board games and introducing you to Andy's character Kazan in our current D&D campaign. Okay, so the first segment of uh, this week's podcast is going to be um, about matched play. Um, specifically this week, I have been to the Bravery One British Open, Bobo 2018, um, which was a 2,000 point match play event in the beautiful city of um, Lincoln. I thought it was just a great place to be, although the weather did break and it was very, very wet indeed. Yeah. Well, so what did you what did you actually take? Was it your standard standard stuff? I mean, we're in we're in match play now. So what are you what were you thinking about doing? So I was taking Order Draconis, and I was not the only Order Draconis player there. There was also uh, Pete Humpage from WS10, um, and sometimes of Team Wales as well. Um, in my list, I had two Dragon Lords. One was the general. I put him in the battalion. Um, and he had uh, obviously the lance. I gave him the shield in the end. I was going to go double horn, but it didn't stack in the Bobo pack, so I thought I'd rather have the defensive option. Um, I gave nice. him dimensional blade, minus three rend um, yes. from Shadow, <laughs> and um, legendary fighter, so plus one attack. So with in the turn with the horn, if the other dragon was near enough, and with the, the lance, um, he, was, he was like five attacks. Minus three rend, threes re-rolling, wounding on twos, three damage, so that kills things. Uh, the other dragon took doppelganger cloak, so he can't be selected with a melee weapon until he's attacked, which is like a quicksilver potion every turn. Mm. Not quite as good, but better over the game, I thought. Yep. Um, and Archmage on Dragon with the book, so it's got two uh, casts, two unbinds, and um, within Hallowheart, which is my city from Firestorm, um, he's also plus two to unbind which is pretty cool. Um, I ended up giving him Shackles, and big shout out to uh, Donal and George for talking to me about Shackles um, after we did some practice games at Magic Madhouse on Thursday last week, mm. um, because Shackles won, well they didn't win me a game, but they certainly paid for their points 240 times. Yeah, I think I saw one picture on Twitter of that that I didn't think about. Does that actually, it actually works the way that it sort of yeah. looks on Twitter. You effectively put three things around a monster and then they can't move. Correct. Right. Fair enough. Um, in terms of... So what what uh, was in the Bobo pack that was different, that changed anything in your list? Um, it changed the way it played a little bit. I had to deploy more defensively because it was the um, roll-off to go first. And actually they went back in the latest edition of the pack on getting plus one if you finish deploying first. So my list build had... I'd got rid of the Dragon Noble um, because I figured it's a re-roll. I generally fail one a game and there's command points for that now. So 100 points saved and a drop saved. Um, and by dropping the rubbish Endless Spell I took to Six Nations, which I think was Endless Life Swarm, um, Emerald Life Swarm, yes. uh, and taking Shackles, I'd saved the extra 40 points in order to get um, uh, another 
five Dragon Blades. So I had 15, 10, and five. The idea being that if someone else was super aggro and I was going to lose the roll-off, I made a screen of 15, they die, and then the rest of my army smashes back. Mm. Um, and if they give me first turn, everything battalion moves up. So um, that was the change. And it did lose me a game. Not the having the roll-off, right? Um, but it said in the pack, um, you know, they hate Alpha Strike, and that's what it's there for. And it 100% lost me an Alpha Strike game once because the other un- the other army had Alpha Strike, so it didn't quite work out the way they'd planned. But sure. um, it was it was super good. Uh, Pete's list had 15 Dragon Blades total, three units of five, um, and he had an extra dragon. And his two two of his Dragon Lords had Quicksilver Potion, and the other one with uh, Doppelganger Cloak. So Quicksilver goes in first. Then you activate the regular dragon that has no artifact. Then you activate the Doppelganger Cloak Dragon. So you effectively get three activations in a row. And um, I hadn't thought about that. And it's awesome. So Pete's build was pretty cool too. Yeah, that is pretty great. So do you want to go through uh, your games? Unless there's anything else you want to add first? Yeah, sure. If um, you um, actually want to chip in with, with questions as and when, just uh, yeah, give of course. me a wave. So um, I drove up with um, George and Ben Saver from South London Legion and Donal on... Uh, Friday morning, well, Friday afternoon in the end, um, and uh, so my first game, this was really exciting actually, was on the stream, um, on the um, Honest Wargamer stream, which they had set up at the front of the hall, and it's in this amazing venue, the Engine Shed, um, in Lincoln, so there's really good light and really good tables, um, and they all had mats, although we did have to take terrain, but that's fair enough, it's the second year. First game was against Nick Thompson, Moon Clan. Lots of squigs. He won Heat 3 with it last year. Uh, and we were playing the Relocation Orb, um, which if we talk about um, uh, scenarios a bit next week, I guess, then it jumps around a lot. And essentially, I deployed terribly. Um, I think the pressure of being on the uh, on the stream got to me. Um, I let Fanatics get into things. Um, I deployed too far back and not enough far enough forwards, but neither of the things. I was just in the middle ground to use my battalion. Right. Nick obviously saw that, gave me first turn. I didn't get close enough to get reliable charges off. The Fanatics stopped me. I was like, what am I doing? Um, and then I just got insanely lucky, if I'm honest. Uh, the relocation mm-hmm. orb never moved twice. There was no ones, no sixes, and it just followed my Archmage on Dragon around the table. Right. And in that scenario, he counts as 20 models, so all I had to do was kill one squig does. from each unit, yep. um, which I did quite quickly. Um, and uh, yeah that was it I mean Nick was such a gracious opponent and made a huge mess of quite a lot of my stuff the coolest moment of the game I thought it was being clever retreating the general out on two wounds after a mangler squig went ham on him Um, he had two wounds left I was like okay he's going to survive and he has one shooting attack in his army right which is the um, shaman with great cave squig the uh, scar snicking goblin model yes he has a shooting attack that does D6 attacks. Yes, he does. He rolled a six, and I uh, took those two wounds off, and it was hilarious um, and, yeah. and much deserved from my poor deployment. Um, but that was uh, that was a big win. Nice. Um, so your list has three scorers for that scenario. Yeah, the intentionally. The big dragons have artifacts, and then the dragon the page. That board. is really good. It's really nice. Yeah, it's the main scenario. Having lost relocation orb um, twice at six, at six nations, I realised that I, I needed that to keep that in my list because um, I did have it at six nations. But it, it it would have gone better if I'd had more bodies to screen the orb, which is where the other five guys came in. 
Fair. Uh, so game two put me. That was table one, effectively, because the, the table oh, nice. one was always on the stream. So table uh, game two um, put me on table fourteen um, against Paul Whitehead, oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. who I've never played before, despite knowing for years and years. I don't know if you guys have ever played him. I've played Paul once. Yeah. I played think Paul? I have actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this time he he last year at Boba he ran like four cows for Beast Claw Raiders and like a load of Mornfang and it was brilliant mm. um, and it's really beautifully reposed and those are really static models actually or sorry <laughs> monopose models anyway uh, this year he came back with Ble Beast Claw and this was pretty much the best Beast Claw list I've ever seen I really like George's Yeti list but this is cool there's a battalion called Braggoth's Beast Hammer and you get two units of pig riders in Beast Claw Raiders Allegiance. Oh, I know it. Yeah, yeah. And, and it was they just get to like do a move or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was a there was a butcher in there as well. And it was yeah, and it it's was really just cool. it was just awesome. And we were playing um, the better part of Valor, which is the one we have six objectives and you can burn, you burn like yeah. scorched earth. Um, and again, I um, lost the roll. Well, I lost the roll off to go first. Um, again, um, Nick had previously given me turn one, which I didn't really want against the squigs. Mm. Um, and um, is that right? Am I lying there? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, Paul took turn one and came right at me. And with cogs, managed yeah. to get into everything. <laughs> with how many stone horns? Um, just one frost lord on stone horn. But okay. Two units of four mornfang. Ah, oh, okay. Um, which made rather a bloody mess of um, <coughs> how many? I think I wrote it down here. Um, Eighteen of my thirty dragon blades in turn one. What I didn't realise is that he gets to pile in twice if there's not a unit within three of him or something. Um, so piling in and attacking twice with the frost lord, he he managed to. That's how he killed eighteen because he yeah. wiped a unit and piled into the other. And then the four mornfang on my rank, right flank, like came straight towards my dragon mage and I was like, oh my god, I definitely left more than three inches but not a double pile in behind the line. Um, yeah. Which is just using lesser known um, battalions. Yeah, really like nice. Really good to see at the start of AOS 2. So I took a couple wounds there. Um, and it was basically all about turn one in that the game lasted turn one. Um, because in my turn, I retreated out of combat with the mage and cast uh, cogs around the frost lord. Yep. So that was the I saw. yeah, Paul had come forwards and burnt two of my objectives, and I just battalion moved onto all of the others, and the um, dimensional blade dragon took out four Mornfang in one hit. The other dragon took out a unit of pigs and the unit of uh, ten um, dragon blades on my left flank moved right across the board and killed two Mornfang at the back to take his objectives. Um, and the one remaining, so I'm immune to battle shock, one remaining champion model from the unit of five on one wound got a six inch run to get onto my remaining objective and cap it in that first turn. Um, so we played into turn two, but there was nothing he could do. Did you burn everything? Um, no, I held onto one and, okay. sc and screened. So yeah. I went I went up and burned his and yep. screened my final one with three dragons. Yep, sure. And the Frost Lord couldn't move and he had um, four Mornfang left about 30 inches yeah. away. So um, Paul came up to me at the end. Um, I think he enjoyed the silliness of both of our lists, but he came up to me at the end of Bobo and said, do you have a printout of your list? And I was like, uh, yeah. Uh, and so um, watch out. If you're going to be matched up against Paul Whitehead going forwards, there's going to be some dragon breath coming your way. Yep. 
Um, so that put me on table five, um, which I was pretty excited about because at the beginning of the day, Rob Symes had said that Order Draconis was going to finish nowhere and that the squigs would have jumped me off. And the reason that they put me on the stream was they thought that it was a silly army that no one would ever play or win a game with. Um, so that was funny. Uh, so table five, Rob, against um, Craig Carlton, who had uh, Disciples of Zinch. And um, I have gone on record several times about my feelings about Zinch. Um, but this was a cool list. In the, the old edition. In the old edition, right. But he had Zangor Enlightened, he had, um, on discs, he had a unit of 30 of them on foot. Still waiting for somebody to bring Enlightened on foot. Yeah, it's not happening. Uh, he had a couple of shamans, of course. Uh, Some hobby hero will do it. They'll be like, why would I take that upgrade? It seems... Yeah, I, just, I don't really need just, the movement or the just, extra attacks for free. Yeah. You're just, you're just playing for that one time when someone plays a slant against you and you can go, ah, I'm not demonic. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. actually, that's if true. Your club, if your club games are all slants yeah. or something. There's quite a lot of stuff that does extra damage against demons, yeah. uh, including Drain Magic, which I had. Um, yeah. But he didn't cast any magic on them while my mage was alive, which kind of gives you an idea of this game. So he left me. A, he we were playing uh, shifting objectives, which is the traffic lights one in the middle, and Battle then you deploy pass. exactly yeah. right. Um, and it, um, traffic lights was Craig's quote about it because it just literally went one two three one two three and kept changing. Um, I basically I managed to get first turn on this one and um, charged through and did some breathing and piling in so that I killed. Two units of 10 Kyrak Acolytes that were spread across the middle and the unit of 30 Zangor. Um, so I'd taken all three objectives in the middle and wiped both of his screens. So he basically had the six guys on discs and his characters, which was a Lord of Change, um, Gaunt Summoner on Bailwind Ovs, and uh, two of the um, Shamans. Um, and so then he mortal wounded my army off over sure. two turns, um, killing two dragons turn his turn one, killing the other dragon turn two when he won priority, and I thought, oh god. Um, but because he didn't, he was so deep set on the board with the characters, um, he could only get up to one of the objectives, where I had the unit of 15 dragon blades, so mm. majority model scores it, he wasn't able to kill um, enough of them to have majority with his um, disc guys, um, and so we played it out, he eventually tabled me, um, or I had like I had I think I had two individual dragon blades from units like standing on objectives just just surviving, um, and he tabled me turn four, and then we looked at the points and realised that um, it was I was up fourteen and he only had one, <laughs> and I went uh, and I went oh um, well you can only score five a turn on this, so yeah I've won, yeah. which was hilarious. Um, Sorry, for those who have the the Twitch subscription, it's actually worth watching that game back on the stream as well because I that's one of the games I caught. Um, oh, that round. I was painting at home, yeah. And um, Sedge um, played. I can't remember who he played now, but he got smashed off in the in the first turn by an alpha list with a Celestin and um, um, the Beetle and a Tree Lord, I think, or something. Mm. Anyway, it was a, a broadly that list. And he got smashed off. He lost most of his characters and half his army in the first term, and he and he played out and won because he went for the objectives and just managed to hold them with bodies. Nice. I really like the objective. I mean, he played his played his socks off. It's a phenomenal game to watch tactically. I've not watched that one yet. I need to. 
have a look. Did at everyone it. play the same objective then? So everyone was playing everyone was, objective all at the same that's time. That's right, yeah. yeah. So cool. the, the, the round like was that. called, and um, as ever with Robo, <laughs> they have um, very helpful videos at the front of how the scenario will work. Um, they are not helpful when they are drunk when they are recorded, but they are funny, yes. so that's good. Um, Craig was an amazing opponent. Apparently, he made the switch from 40k to um, AOS at the start of AOS, and he was so precise and just we had a really fun game. So um, I enjoyed playing against Zeech is the takeaway from that one, and I never thought that I would say wow. that. And I was enjoying it when I was getting tabled before I realised that I'd won. I thought I'd lost it and thought, okay, pressure's off. I've won two, lost one. Was there much uh, summoning shenanigans going on to get past your line? So, like you blocked so he was far enough back that he couldn't do that with the depth of the that. table okay. um, because he basically ran away from the dragons in order to mortal mm. wound them and I was three across on a narrow board. Um, so that's why it took till turn four and five to be scoring those objectives because he did sure. eventually resummon stuff on but it was too late at that point which I hadn't appreciated and neither had he. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. If you go ahead, then yeah, you can't summon stuff until quite late on. Yeah. I think, I think summoning does help, but actually, that's where the pink horrors really come in. They may be super expensive now, but the fact that they really help you bring yeah. up the bring up the blue horror points, which you can just then spam ten models onto an objective late games, really, or much earlier in the game, is very helpful. For that. Yes. Um, anyway, so that, that was a great game and um, by the end of day one uh, both myself and Pete Humpage had got three out of three wins for Order Draconis so that was uh, six for six um, which was six more games than Rob had predicted that we would win Yep. Uh, so in the evening we had a big order of pizza they were playing Street Hammer which if you haven't heard any of the Bobo coverage basically Rob was running it and there were some stupid scenarios including one where you just paid people off to win like Greasy's Gold Tooth you basically build a start collecting box um, and that's your army, and you're not allowed to paint it because you lose points if it's painted. Um, and so, yeah, like Beast Claw did quite well in that because you can build a Frost Lord within that. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was Pink Slips, so if you lost your game, your opponent kept your army. Right. So it's quite a big buy-in, but quite silly. On the other on the other side, I was running Griffhound Racing. We ran a couple of races. Um, the second one came to no conclusion due to the inebriation of all of the participants and the death of several Griffhounds on the first leg. Uh, but the first <laughs> game was won uh, by George Newbold, uh, who was representing Angel Wargamers, um, as he tends to when he comes to one event a year. Um, nice. And he won with Brian the Griffhound, because George has played Blood Bowl and knows that you never go for it if everybody else is going for it, because they will fall and break their necks, and you can just walk calmly over them. <laughs> <laughs> so that was pretty hysterical uh, and that kind of sums up um, day one the evening yeah nice and it sounds like you were doing pretty well and, and in high spirits for day two were you super hungover for the next day then I was not were actually taking it serious it was so hot I mean the storm had broken but it was so hot I, I really cannot drink when it's hot and I'd fortunately unfortunately I don't know had the summer party at work on the Wednesday which Andy will realise <laughs> I came in quite late um, and uh, so did not particularly feel like drinking on Thursday, Friday or Saturday Fine. Um, and so what we're saying is Adam just took it far too seriously, didn't even drink a bobo and therefore was I did drink a bobo, two. just not heavily um, that counts as not drinking it does indeed, especially <laughs> a bobo not known for being a dry event um, apart <laughs> from the humour um, so I found out that evening as well that I was facing Tony Moore in the morning who, um, for those of you who don't know, was the captain of Team England for the AOS Six Nations this year and being a Welsh player I felt like we had a bit of an own back to get after that um, 
that draw, draw um, yeah. in that round and then them taking the event um, when any of those results going the other way could have been a Wales victory. Yeah. Um, so I had Tony Moore, he was borrowing um, Daughters of Cain with Marathi, um, with 60 Witch Elves, um, 10 Sisters, uh, with the Avatar thing. I don't know what it is. Like a Blood Rack Shrine, but with an Avatar on it. Yeah. Cauldron of something. I don't know. Cauldron of Blood? It could be. I just don't there's know. A, there's a hag on it as well, right? It's the, the hero. Potentially. And then you roll a ritual to awaken the avatar on it. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and he had two units of five canaries. Um, and the important thing about that is that we were playing Total Commitment. Yep. So they have to deploy on the table. And that made me very happy indeed. That's really good. Um, <coughs> Tony took this game with good grace. But long story short, he <clears throat> transformed Marathi threw across the table and with Mind Razor killed 15 Dragon Blades and they were in the middle of the board nowhere near any of my objectives and then I went okay that was turn one and then Hero Phase moved my whole army towards his army breathed off a lot of Witch Elves like potentially over 10 I think 12 Witch Elves with 3 Dragon Breaths which Ooh. was naughty um, and then just multi-charged and killed 60 Witch Elves and 5 Canaries turn 1. That is a lot of damage. Yes. 60 Witch Elves. Yes. Man. With I, what? 15 Dragon Blades? 10 Dragon dead. Blades. So 10 Dragon Blades and 2 Dragons. The Mortal Wounds back onto them killed 3, so I was happy with that, to be fair. Because sure. um, the Breath had already killed the load, um, and then they killed the rest of the unit, basically, which allowed, having charged the um, horrible Dragon Lord to... Uh, with the Dimensional Blade to pile in um, the further three inches. So, so what did you do about Marathi? I ignored her. Deal. Yeah, so you, you just didn't do any wounds to her? Or? Um, so when she came at me, I put a Dragon Breath into her to see if I could do three, because if you do three turn one, then she's killable by the end of turn two. Um, yes. It's, yeah, well, for four, me, it would have been turns. start of turn three, yeah, right? So three. I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll give it a shot. If I do three, then it's worth thinking about. I did two, and I thought, right, at this point, forget Marathi. Um, so um, Marathi was miles away and I was like if I kill the um, Cauldron of Blood then the teleport's gone from the army and he can't swap her around um, so that's what I did so she's quick but she's not quick enough because uh, I think Tony's only mistake in the game was putting her in the middle of the board not on an objective right right um, so I just basically tabled the rest of the army and flew three dragons around um, eventually Marathi got close so I fed him a mage dragon and then the other dragon um, to, to keep it occupied um, and um, we smashed a lot of face um, but I mean that one was over very very quickly um, you were just up on objectives and um, I mean I was 9-3 uh, up at the end of 2 then 13-7 then 20-10 at the end of 4 um, yeah. and there's nothing he can do because he didn't have any units left um, sure. so my other two dragon blade units were just sitting on my objectives and then you can move off objectives so the dragons just went I'll have this one and leave and this one and leave and um, it, it was it was violent be afraid of any list that can kill 60 witch elves in a turn and 5 canaries Sure. And it would have been 90 Witch Elves on damage, but there weren't any more to kill. Right. It's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, fair. fair play to Tony. I'd rolled a lot of sixes. And including for, like, mystical saves. Like, a lot of sixes. Like, mostly sixes. Tony rolled mostly ones, which he does re-roll, but they're yeah. then also ones again. 
So this must put you on table one or two for the final game. It put me on table two, and it put Pete Humpage, who was on the stream game one, because Robert had to eat his words and go, okay, let's have a look at the other Order Draconis list, because it's won three games. Um, Pete also won his game, so there was a brief moment where me and Pete were like reading other people's packs to see like how many kill points they had, and we were like within 150 of each other, and we were like, are we going to be playing on table mm. two for the Order Draconis crown? Um, so let me, <clears throat> before you go into game five, let me ask you this question. When you were playing game four, yeah. were you thinking about where you might end up standing on what table in game five? Yeah, I was, um, or as rather I was thinking about it um, over lunch. I thought about it, um, I thought, thought about it in the morning and had a chat with um, Darren about it. And Darren was like, yeah, just kill his whole army you got to play the game in front of you. And I was like, that's very true, yeah. and I am running dragons. And Don't it would be... not, not kill his whole army because yeah, yeah, you're yeah. afraid of getting onto table one. Yeah, I don't think it's and I couldn't have gone to table one at that point anyway because of, of right. where I was, and uh, Gary and Jack were doing like insanely well, as was Dan Ford and various other people. So like table one was unlikely. Um, so there was a brief moment where I was like, do I want to play Jack? I don't know what any of the new Stormcast stuff does. And ultimately, I would love to play Jack and find out what the Stormcast stuff does on table one. That would be awesome to fit, start and finish the weekend on the stream. So I was like, let's kill everything that Tony's got. Um, of yep. course, I didn't kill Marathi, so that's 480 points I didn't get. Um, whereas um, Pete absolutely tabled his opponent, um, which was why he almost caught me up, because I got a lot more on day one. He some more denial-y type stuff uh, so game 5 what actually happened is that I did do too much damage and so I was not fighting against Pete for the Order of Draconis crown I was on table 2 Pete was on table 3 um, against um, Luke uh, Whitehead Paul's son yep. who was running Flesh Eater Courts on table 3 wow, I know right I'd love to see his list I forgot to ask for it yeah um, and I had uh, Dan Ford with Murderhost and Dan had gone on record at the beginning of the weekend on Twitter saying that he thinks Murderhost is dead and he was bringing it one last time to prove to any, everyone that it was rubbish now and that it needed to have a points reduction and uh, at this point I don't think he'd uh, well he obviously hadn't lost a game and yeah. uh, he'd played against George and George had come very close to beating him because George has got insanely good with Frost Lords at some point um, and uh, Darren got close to beating him as well but uh, sorry Ben Sava got close to beating him with sisters as well but okay. didn't I keep saying sisters I mean daughters anyway so the final game table two against um, Dan Ford's murder host was focal points now there was one other scenario remaining which is three places of arcane power which I auto win against murder host because he only has one scoring character Yep. So I breathe it off, and then I only have to score yeah, you once. You need to breathe it off. You just get onto two objectives and win. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, what we actually played was focal points, which is all about board coverage. So this was the game I was describing at the start. Lost in the final moments of the event, um, I had an amazing game against Dan. Yep. Um, I deployed slightly wrongly. I needed to deploy deeper um, and. Um, not allow the turn one charge, but there's just nothing you can do against Murder Host on a diagonal deployment 18 inches Depends away. Depends on how well it rolls as well, though. Yeah, I mean, it rolled well. Yeah. Like, super well. Because if he suddenly um, rolls a 4 on that 2d6, yeah. then you're laughing. I realised a mistake I made today whilst thinking back over the game. I just should have put the doppelganger cloak dragon <laughs> on the line. 
he can't fight me till I've fought. A dragon kills about half of a unit of um, blood letters. Yeah. And instead, I screened all my dragons with dragon blades and got wiped off. Yeah. Um, I managed to push it to uh, turn four, where it was um, thir- uh, it was twenty seven to him going into twenty two seven to Dan going into turn four. Um, I managed to take priority and get to 13. Um, I did kill all of the blood, blood letters. Yeah. Um, I killed a lot of flesh hounds. I killed so much stuff, but it was too late. And obviously, when you kill stuff against corn, it just goes, cool, here's a unit of five blood letters nine inches away from you on an objective. And you go, oh man, <laughs> this is a, a never-ending game. So focal points was um, pretty difficult for me um, versus Dan, but fair play what an epic sportsman he was um, I've not played him before I don't know what other people's opinions are of Dan but um, I've met him like Paul loads of times never got a game against him and actually I don't think anyone that I played this weekend um, I had played before I hadn't so I mean that's a massive win for a tournament in my books that's great I went yeah. 4 for 5 which I haven't done with this list since the early days in <laughs> first ed um, and um, the final part of the Order Draconis story is Pete absolutely battered Flesh Eater Corpse in turn one he'd killed the zombie dragon and 25 ghouls and that was pretty much it on the scenario because he didn't have the bodies or the characters to kind of mm-hmm. do any more heavy lifting because uh, of the way Flesh Eaters are set up as well um, and so Pete his list obviously is the better one um, well you still haven't played each other yeah, so I'm still confident that my list beats him in a mirror matchup mm. um, because I think I'm better at scenario play with the bodies on the board. Yeah, um, but you nice don't have play. to write it. You don't win if no one's running Order Draconis. Winning the mirror match is a bit pointless, <laughs> right? So, yep. in terms of the tournament and the pack, he had four dragons, and four dragons is better than three. So, hats off to him. Yeah, nicely done, Pete. Yeah, That's very <laughs> it, was, it was awesome. And so, so, five wins for Pete. Five wins for Pete, four wins for me. So that's nine out of ten wins for Order of And considering it's an Alpha Strike list and people had to roll off, like... It's an Alpha Strike... Well, no, you do have, like, five drops, don't you? Uh, I have three. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah okay. Pete, Pete had four or five, I think. Uh, it must be four, because he had yeah. one more model. So they're not right? one drops, but they are very... very sure, rare. but you can screen other Alpha Strikes off your own stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, so um, Bobo is awesome go next year if you have not been to Bobo go next year if you don't like the humour of the Bravery One guys consider not going um, but I think they're, they are all lovely and those sorts of jokes make more sense or are more forgivable in person than they are on Twitter that's kind of my final thought on that mm. um, the venue is incredible the atmosphere the kind of camaraderie the painting field was insane I got a nomination but finished nowhere um, and that was pretty fair enough as well like um, it was just a super awesome event everyone was having a great time there was some drinking but it wasn't as bad as last year people were just there to have fun the coolest army competition was out of this world if you haven't already go and check out Lee Bromley's Seraphon on Twitter um, and yeah just big thanks to all of my opponents um, I was so pumped that I did win an award because I was tweeting all weekend uh, and there was a social media prize sponsored by Feldhair so I won a Feldhair backpack Um, Wow! yeah which is awesome the prize support is insane Um, the event was taken out by Jack Armstrong unsurprisingly um, and he won a professionally painted Nagash wow as well as a life size Galmaraz yeah I saw those and like I think some scenery vouchers as well like I don't know where they get the money from but the prize support uh, consistently at Bobo is just out of this world 
Um, I also won a corpse cart and good good prize shit prize bingo. Um, was that a good prize or a shit prize? That's what he asks you when you get it. I was like, I just don't know. I, just don't know. <laughs> no. I mean, as a counterpoint, uh, Tony Moore got his hair sprayed pink. So right. And George got an AOS one rule book, right? Yeah, still so in the shrink wrap. In a relative, <laughs> in a relative sense, I think it's a good one. I think I'd rather have a corpse cart than a general's handbook that goes in the bin. It wasn't even the general's handbook; it was the, it core, was rules the core rules from the original starter oh, set right. in shrink wrap with the building instructions for the original starter set. It, so straight, yeah. George was like reading it. I was like, "What are you doing?" It's <laughs> just useless information. Yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of narrative in there that's probably now been retconned, and also some narrative scenarios. I guess but also it's like no yeah it's not even absorbent so it doesn't have any other uses um the other good prize shit prize bingo that was hilarious that i must mention is that two people were got by um so you could gamble for some of the prizes so someone got given a limited edition grombindel in power armor um i forget who it was sorry i think it was speckles but i'm not sure um and he's like i'll gamble and he's like okay you could win um a blight war box on a five plus and everyone's like Ooh, uh, and he rolled a five plus, and they handed him a blight war box that was empty. <laughs> <laughs> and someone else was out having a cigarette and came back in, and the same thing happened. And a hundred people were complicit and did not say a thing. Wow. And he rolled a four, and uh, John was like, "Shall we give him a re-roll?" And everyone was like, "Yeah!" And he looked super psyched. Rolled a six on a bobo dice and got an empty box. And that guy walked away with the box rather than handing it back. He was so like my box confused now. by what was going on, I guess, that he was like, no, this is my price. Yep. <laughs> and I will take it with me. Um, so yeah, big shout out to the Bravery One guys. Um, I know they're not everyone's cup of tea, but they're absolutely mine. Um, it was an awesome event. I thought the pack was great. There was no stacking. The roll-off was fun. If you drew the roll-off, the fewest drops went first. Sure. Which seems good. Just like turn roll. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, the whole the whole thing was excellent. Um, Lincoln's not massively expensive, although it is difficult to drive to on a Friday from London. But there we go. We knew that already. Um, and um, go and watch the Twitch feed. Rob and the team did an amazing job. Um, it was really cool. to. They did interviews with players, so you heard like about people's lists rather than just the lists that were winning, which I think is really nice at the beginning of an edition. Yeah, I mean, I think in a world where we have enough events that you can really pick and choose which one you want to go to, I think effort by the TOs really makes a difference to which events you go to. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so off the back of that, I've decided I'm going to Pompey Pillage uh, in two weeks. Um yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, someone offered me a ticket and I was like, okay. And it's Darren Watson's birthday weekend. And I was like, well, cool. yeah, why not? Um, I have a list. It's the tickets like 30 quid and they've got secondary objectives. Which it's, we haven't seen in AOS 2 yet. Uh, not in AOS 2 yet, but yeah. we will do very soon. Yeah. Well, um, I, was, I was spreading the word about that. Um, at the weekend so cool. hopefully we can have a busy nice angel event at some point this year <coughs> um, so that's it
Okay, uh, so welcome back. Um, I believe we're going to be talking now about narrative. Yeah, let's do some narrative play. So we've got we've got Andy here from the uh, from Angel Wargamers, as we said at the start and all the way through matched, um, and he's going to be talking to us about I guess his painting choices, uh, selections on army, what you do to go through uh, your whole selection on on how you choose a color palette and what you then do for painting. I don't know, it's all well out of my league. <laughs> I just pick the closest color and then go for it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and and 50% of the time, turn around to Adam and say, can I have this for next week, please? Yep. That is true. Yeah. I, is I'm it just... as little as 50? <laughs> <laughs> Adam, I've painted this one model. Can you now do this entire army in this scheme, please? Rinse and repeat. <laughs> <laughs> that is, yeah. So I think um, by, by way of backdrop, um, I... I I would say that I can com com compete head to head with Ming for slowest painter in the group. Uh, no, what about Flinny? Nowhere near Flinny, though. That's fair. That is fair. <laughs> Although Flinny doesn't paint armies, so that but, is true. But Neither um, does Ming. I came into I came into AOS one um, having just finished painting a Skaven Twin Towers list. Um, which was then rendered inert because um, Clan Pestilence basically doesn't work with the rest of the Skaven army anymore. It goes into Nurgle. Thanks, GW. Um, thanks very much for that freshly painted model that I used for the first time a month ago after sitting on a shelf for three months. Yeah. Uh, three years. Wow. Um, but, um, so, but what happened then was I saw an opportunity to play with that Skaven army in the way that I've always thought Skaven should work, which is like waves of rats, basically. And it was super thematic and really good fun. And then scenarios came out and kind of killed that army because you can't throw the clan rats in to die because you need them to score. Um, and so about two years ago now, I started thinking about doing my first proper AOS army um, and went looking for something that was different. I wanted something, knowing that I paint slowly, that um, I could get done relatively quickly. So I went as I basically went around the different allegiances looking for something that had the lowest model count I could possibly find. That's a fun game. I've done that quite a few times. <laughs> <laughs> and and settled on um, Death Lords as a as an allegiance um, because it allowed you to take um, more tarks with more ghasts as battle line. And when you add those two together and you take a minimum summoning pool of spirit hosts, which are also minimum model, you can end up creating an army of 17 models. Wow, that is not many. Um, which is two more Tarks, six more Ghasts, and nine spirit hosts. And that get in, in old in GHB, old in old yeah. currency, that was that was a that was a um, an army. That was was that pre Legions of Nagash? That was very much pre Legions of Nagash. That's like two years ago. So, um, so you bought the new Games Workshop Nighthawk paint, got a big brush, painted it all with that, and then put it on the table. Why right? do we let him on this podcast? <laughs> like seriously, it's never, it's never quite that easy. So, um, so, so that was kind of my process of finding the army in the first place, um, and then I started thinking about color palette. And there's this amazing tool that I use for all my armies that I can never remember what the website's called. So if you just go into Google and search for online color wheel. It comes up with this educational website in the US that's a digital color wheel and it has the, different, it um, yeah. has the different has the different kinds of color schemes. So um, complementary, tertiary, all different ones. And you can basically put a dot on a color wheel and it gives you the other colors. And you can then Ooh. literally with a the mouse, you just move it around until you find colors you like. 
Um, and I'd um, dabbled with um, the Secret Weapon miniature washes previously, and some of them are pretty radical colours. Is that where the um, candy floss... Correct. Right. So there's like, there's radioactive ones in there. There's one called Baby Poop, which... I don't... Is, yeah. is out there. There's some fun stuff, but there was this super, super pink one that's borderline neon, but still pink. Sure. Um, that I wanted to use, and I wanted to paint it reasonably quickly as well. Um, <clears throat> so it was a matter of kind of pull it together around pink. Um, I previously painted some of my Skaven with the verdigris color that comes from Incubi Darkness and goes up. And it just so happened that the, that pink and the green worked together really well in a triangle where the third component of the triangle is a bone colour. That's convenient for death. Yes, indeed. So so that was that became the basis of the scheme. Um, it got painted up reasonably quickly. I got all excited because it took me Christmas to build it. And then over a two-month period, I was aiming at South Coast to, as, a, as a debut 2017. point. 2017? 17, yep. Yeah. Um, as, a, as a debut point. And I'd got most of it painted by, um, by the end of February. And I was like, right, I can spend a bit more time on this now. So I, so I dispensed with the pink wash that I'd used for all the ghosting and started blending all the weapons up. And that right. just came out super well. Some of it, like it was really, for me, it was the first time I really cracked blending really smoothly. So they all had these super standout weapons. So there were some super cheats in that army in terms of most of the ghosting was dry brushed. Most of the bone was dry brushed. And then I just picked out certain details that drew your eye to the model yeah. and, and made it pop. Um, and that army has stood me in good stead <clears throat> all the way through to the legions of Nagash that you already mentioned. Um, when Legions and Agash popped, I'd already been thinking about another army, and in fact, I'd actually already bought it, but I'm, I'll try and go through the thought process in, in order, even if it's not chronological. But Legions and Agash killed that army because, A, you couldn't take more gas as battle line unless you had Nagash, so I had to paint Nagash. Ugh. Or, um, I couldn't take them as battle line, and arguably Legions of Nagash, the most common list is 40 skeletons, and, I, and I'd specifically gone out of my way when I picked that army to pick an army where the models were all new models. Yeah. So, to be fair, they were end times models rather than AOS models, but they were all new. Sure. Yeah. They all came oh, right, out not the skeletons, book. I was going to say. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I, I had them were. in 2011. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I did not want to go and paint 80, skeleton, 80 skeletons of a like years old so yeah. I was like can that and I'd had I'd that, been that said if I can just interrupt for a moment for me those those skeletons represent the start of the new kind of style of Games Workshop models in a big way um, the, there's a bit of a design aesthetic shift from um, kind of 80s and 90s fantasy towards something that's more recognisable as the mortal realms to me so there's the slimmer skeletons the, uh, the mm. bigger stuff and the smaller stuff creating a bigger contrast on the army yeah that's that's fair and but they're also horrible to mold line trim yeah. and you have to paint so many yeah. of them I mean I did 30 and I was like I'm done you know that that was that was my my battle line and I also used them in the end for summoning because they were better for yeah. summoning than the, than the spirit host that unit's actually why I quit Warhammer at the end of 7th because they brought in a minimum core and I was like I'd loaded zombie dragons, surprise, surprise, and had like two units of ten skeletons or whatever. And I was like, I'm not painting a hundred skeletons. This army's going in the bin. Yep. So I can understand your frustration. So, so that I mean, it was what it was, and it's a it's a great army, and maybe I'll get there um, eventually. But in, in the meantime, um, I'd been thinking about what my next army was going to be and color schemes for that because I wanted to do something. 
I like doing paint schemes that are a little bit different. You so, sure do. So pulling it away. So like if if you ever look at me on Twitter and stuff, I'm always hassling people about not doing pink ghosts and stuff like that. And what is your Twitter handle, Andy? Um, it is Warp Tunneler. Cool. Um, for showing my Skaven heritage, but um, but mostly it's got pink ghosts on it these days. Um, <laughs> Is that what happens to Skaven if they get lost in the war? Yeah, could be. Well, Blade guys. Yeah, there's new. Yeah, Skaven faces <clears> for some reason on like one unit of Nighthorn models. So, um, so I then started to transition into a corn army, which I'd already built and I'd already been thinking about paint scheme on. Um, and what were, I think was fortuitous for me was um, a, as AOS one was going a bit stale, Shadespire dropped. And I got into Shadespire, and I used Shadespire with the corn set that's in there as a test paint on my on my corn scheme, um, which I would argue is is like they talk about classic paint schemes of colours, um, <clears throat> and actually on that on that website I mentioned before, there's actually two colour wheels. There's an RYB color, color wheel and an RGB color wheel, um, and what does that stand for for the layman? So, so red, it, basically when you see a color wheel. Um, it's split between three primary colors mm -hmm. and the red let me get this the right way around the red yellow blue is the primary colors from paint and the red green blue is the primary colors from light, light. yeah I, I think that's the right way around that, that is the right, right way around um so you can pick and choose which one whichever one you want actually but um when you hear gw talk about paint schemes like the classic storm cast paint scheme uh hammers of sigmar is essentially is gold. It's blue, red, and yellow. Essentially, right? <laughs> can you can you fill that in in the edit? <laughs> yeah, I can definitely. Um, so that that scheme is built red, yellow, blue. Right, the yellow is a proxy. The gold is a proxy for the yellow. Blue shoulder pads, red trim. Right. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Um, and I did the same thing with the corn. The classic corn army is red. I looked through the color schemes in the book. They're mostly the red, black, or white, which is a bit of a cop-out in my humble opinion um, and so I wanted to go something different and if you've got brass in there which is yellow and you need red in there for the trim because ultimately you've got to have some red trim in there for corn symbols and stuff like that for sure then the third color you're missing is either blue or green and I don't think corn would look very good in blue so I tried it in green yeah and it came out really well and the good thing about that is you often see red corn models with green and kind of um, equivalent white trim, so silver, and then they look like Santa. Yeah. So if you make green the primary, the kind of predominant color, it looks a lot less like Santa and a lot more like Luigi. <laughs> yeah. So so that that was then the core of the scheme. I painted up um, the Bloodbound and the Shadespire um, like that and actually um, won a little painting trophy at... Um, uh, London GT for the privilege I mm. uh, really like that and I'm now doing the test paint on the Gorse Fiends in so that was um, Garrix that you painted the first time correct yes um, so I'm now painting up um, the Gorse Fiends to do the test paint on the Blood Warriors which is interesting because whereas um, and the other thing I should say as well is I wanted to theme it and have whether it ever actually happens is debatable based on the speed I paint up, but I've got an idea for a display board for it as well. Oh yeah, you're telling me about this <laughs> the other day. Cool. Um, so it's a desert-themed army, and because it's a desert-themed army, everyone keeps flaming about this on Twitter, I wanted to make it a kind of African um, corn army. So it's, it's, it's very, the, the skin tones are all very dark, 
um, which is in contrast to the light. So reversing what a normal model would be, where mm -hmm. you very often have dark bases and light tops. Yep. The other way around, so dark skins with desert bases kind of flips people's perceptions of the model. Well, that really does nicely, and actually I can't believe I'm saying this, but Don Pemberton is a big um, fan of this in his painting. Goblin green bases? Well, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but if you have a light base, what it serves to do when models are on display, particularly if you're putting them up for best painted or something like that, um, especially if you've got those shiny metallics and as you've got with your green kind of flex of that within there, which you might talk about in a minute, um, it serves as a reflector. And so areas of the model that you've spent a long time painting that people usually don't see on the tabletop are bathed in a bit more light just naturally by having a light base. And a, a perfect segue into one of the two things. Um, I, 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 at the bottom of my notes here, I wrote two tips that I, I wanted to, to, to flash out as I was going through this. Um, I went to Adepticon this year to do a lot of hobby stuff, which is a, a topic we'll cover another time. But one of the, the top tips that came out of that was um, one of the sessions I did and the guy who was hosting it said something that's very cool to do on a model particularly when you've got light bases mm -hmm. is always darken the back of the base because yes, it effectively creates a spotlight on the model yeah um, there's some really good YouTube uh, tutorials on that I'll see if I can find out where I saw one and, and hit it up on uh, yeah I don't think I'm, I'm quite following what that would do so if, if you imagine you have a like I've, I actually bought the ink for it today um, if you have like a desert base yeah you get some ink and uh, you put it in an airbrush because it's easier uh, and you literally just tap the airbrush and just put a single thin coating of, of dark ink across the back of the base right. and what it does is it creates a backdrop where you have light then the feet of the model, and then dark behind it. And it looks like the model's in a spotlight. Okay. And like they're casting a shadow, which if you're gonna be set in a desert setting, um, adds an extra depth of realism to the army. Yeah, and you wouldn't do it the other way around because you'd lose all of the light reflection from the front of the model that you want. Yeah, I think that's right, yeah. Fine. Yeah, fine. Yeah. Yeah, Makes yeah. sense. For a display <coughs> board, you could do it the other way around if there was some kind of um, OSL spell in the background, I guess. And it or would, if you painted the amazing Phoenix Guard cloaks. Yeah, And you for just sure. wanted to put them backwards on your display board. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why not? <clears throat> so so the McGaw's Fiends are work in progress at the moment. I finished the green this week. Um, super happy with it. The green comes out really strong, and I'm really looking forward to... I've got to do some of the peripheral bits first, but then the green, will, the, the brass will go around the green and really frame it off, and I'm... I'm quite hoping that they, they become really vibrant and really drive the, the colour scheme for the whole army. Yeah. Um, I guess I, I guess then I would just touch on um, a couple of things about my painting style. Sure. Still have time yeah, for that? Yeah. Um, Absolutely. So, so and my, um, my partner is a, a sculptor slash artist, so I quite often have discussions with her and, and she saw Adam's stuff in our um, apartment for the first time a couple of weeks ago. Um, and it's interesting getting her kind of critical eye against the different things. And she mm -hmm. was saying, whereas you paint with contrast, I paint smoothly. Yes. Mm. So my contrast comes from the different kind of, um, scheme of paint whereas yours comes from mixing it across the different things and yes, yeah, textures yeah. and such like um, and so I, I would describe the main thing that I do I, whereas people often talk about layering or highlighting where you, you block in a layer of paint 
and then you put another layer on top and you block that in and you blend it slightly but you block it in and sure. then you done that I I whether whether it's the same thing but just different I I've never quite figured out but I I paint and what the way I paint I refer to it as glazing so I water the paint down very thin so something like 50 50 um, you wow. could, you could lose, use Lamia Medium. <clears throat> I actually use my own mix because Lamia Medium is expensive and it gives slightly different properties, particularly in my greenhouse oriented flat in the summer where you need more retardant to stop the paint from drying on the brush. The oven's so hot. <laughs> <clears throat> um, and so I, I literally sit there and I put layer after layer after layer and they're effectively like glazes of glass on the model and it builds up over time and the paint's almost it, the paint's almost dry as you get back to the model and do it again and again and again. And it just builds up over time and creates smooth blends and it's very laborious and very painful. Um, but So it's just you, about patience. It is a lot yeah. about patience. Because like, you do like three layers sometimes. I think I've tried this kind of technique before in the past after Flinny told me to do a very similar thing. Sure. And I did like three layers and I just couldn't see it going red at all. And I was using red paint and it was just so thinned out and I was just, I just lost my nerve. <laughs> Went straight <laughs> for it. It's fair. I mean, it, it, it takes a huge amount of time to get used to and it is kind of like that where you have to con do it continuously. Yeah. Um, and for people who want to work on those kind of techniques and stuff, I can't recommend enough the heavy metal classes that they do at Warhammer World periodically, because sure. that it's not dissimilar to how the heavy metal guys paint, and they're the experts at it. They understand a lot more color, mm. color theory yeah. than I do and stuff, and it it, it gives you some inspiration. So generally, how many like coats are you actually looking at? It depends on the color, of course. Yeah, I mean, it comes. I suppose you can argue it comes down to individual brush strokes. But the flesh mm. I was doing on my Rathmungas this weekend, while I was watching um, the stream at Bobo, um, I started in. Um, I started in Doomble Brown and went up through Mephiston, Evil Sons, Wild Rider, Fire Dragon Bright, and then Fugan Orange. So one of each. Um, and then <laughs> you're talking about between five and ten glazes per paint. Whoa. Ugh. That's a lot. Yeah. That is more than I would have guessed. It, Definitely. It, it takes it does take a while. I mean, so I was testing... And you I was go doing dark some, to light based on how you just did Yeah, it. I mean, the theory is you're supposed to start in the middle and knock down and bring up for the for the depth and the highlights. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, as a, That's as where you get your games workshop shades, your army painter stuff, and your highlights. And for like a basic theory of painting, I don't know GW colors to know well enough. What you just you just said a lot of like dome balls. And if you think of okay, so if you think of um, if you think of a valley, right? So if you have a if you have a, a peak in a valley, um, then you start halfway up the slope, and mm. you put darker colors into the valley, and yeah. you put lighter colors into the peak. And you just do that one after, so you're going extreme yeah. to extreme to extreme. So it's basically you're finishing somewhere in the middle, or you're starting no, you start in the middle. middle. Of the colors, right? You start in the middle. So the last two things that I do will be the darkest color, yeah, which will go in the top of the valley in, in the this valley, metaphor, yeah. and the lightest color will go at the top Correct. of the top. Okay, yeah. yeah, that makes sense. It's essentially taking a base color and washing it with strong tone and then highlighting an edge. That's yeah. what I do. Yes, <laughs> but much, much, much better. Yes. <laughs> but that's where you get the smooth like, yeah. the but textures rather, that you end up getting on your paint. Yeah, I mean, rather depressingly, the difference is probably the top 10 or 20% of the blend. Um, but when you get it right, it's it's really good. I mean, I yeah. I, I did I did three test models on the Rathmungas that I'm doing and got quite excited about them. The third one, I kind of nailed it. And that individual model took me 
and bear in mind the the skin on that is basically rib cage up and a bit of arms because there's arm there's um what the bits on the arms called and the armor armor on your arms um forearms um that took me about three hours right that's not terrible braces that's the one braces yes I was just thinking back to playing Diablo yeah, 3 Diablo. last night I was, working, I was working around not the colour wheel but what the equipment that, what wheel what is that armour slot what, called what <laughs> bracer yeah there yeah. it is um, so I would just I, I prattled on for a while um, I would just the, the one of the hobby tip which is something I picked up randomly um, again with Joe my partner um, we were um, on holiday in China last year and she wanted to get some of the, some of the posh Chinese um, ink brushes that they do calligraphy with, mm-hmm. the, the whole flowy stuff and oh, yeah. all that fun thing. And then through a broken conversation between a translator, um, the guy in the shop gave us um, kind of maintenance tips on how to use the brushes. <clears throat> and what he said was, the first thing you do before you start doing anything for the day, and bear in mind this is with ink because they're painting ink, not paint, so it's a lot thinner. Yep. Bear in mind, I also use very thin paint, but um, what he said was, the first thing you do in the morning is you get a big bowl of water and you leave your brush in the water for about 10 minutes. Okay. Um, And this is me interpolating a little bit between what he said, but my conclusion of the conversation, and I've done this and I genuinely think it works, is um, by hydrating the bristles before you start painting, they actually expand slightly mm-hmm. and it seals the ferrule. Yeah. So it makes it much harder for taint paint to get into the back of the brush. So presumably that is referring to uh, natural fiber brushes yes. as opposed to synthetic, yeah, which I don't um, think it I'm not brushes. sure what the current GW range of brushes are, but if you were to buy something like Sable or Kalinsky, then that's generally what Andy's talking about. If you were to buy, um, as Beshmeister would rep, recommend which is spending no money on brushes and buy them from the works those are synthetic don't leave them in the water yeah yeah so i think the g-dub split is the all the artificer brushes brushes are sable and all the other ones are synthetic i think that's the split what brushes do you use um i currently use winsor and newton most of the time um Great. i've yeah. got some is it cotman the yes. blue the blue ones that are synthetic uh, I believe so. I um, have one somewhere. So I have a very um, painstaking way of mixing paints, which is I've got a Cotman um, synthetic brush that I pull the paint out of the pot with, and then I've got a dropper bottle um, that I drip out exact droplets to match the amount of volume of paint I've done, and then I mix it with the acrylic brush, and then I go to my sable brush. Wow. So you should see process. Andy's paint station. It is the most yeah, insane. I've seen. It's pretty yeah, but crazy. In, in process. In process, I'd love to see yeah. that. That's really good. Yeah, I, just there, get, like, I get my Winsor and Newton out and just like mix it in a palette that looks disgusting in front of me. I'm there like pouring super glue on models and then spraying them while that's still wet and yeah. sticking my brush bristles into the super glue that's still wet and things like that. So. Yeah, I did. I did a heavy metal class this year, and one of the one of the cool things I saw there is um, Max Fallet. She's one of the one of the legendary painters there. He brought his um, painting palette with him, mm. which is a bathroom tile. So like six yeah. inches by six inches ceramic tile, two and a half inches high. Wow. Yeah. Of paint. Mine's getting there. Yeah. yeah. I cleaned mine out the other the other day. You don't do it that. Really you, looks you gross lose, now. You lose the uh, uh, use the, it use the was, legend. It used to have like bits where the paint the paint would stay in and now it doesn't. Yeah, right. Aaron So I cleaned it. No, Aaron Aiden, um, one of the other painters there, he uses a a circular palette like I do with holes in. 
and his just fills up and every every few months he just rips it all out and they have this like ceremonial purging of their palates at <laughs> where, where they where they all get together and rip all the paint off them and burn it and some yeah. kind of people horrendous fumes yeah yeah you shouldn't no that was really interesting I found that I found the website uh, that you were talking about earlier so I can mention it uh, and if it is that one it is that one yes so that's uh, sessions.edu slash color American spelling dash calculator great which is I, I was playing with it while Andy was talking at the start and it's actually really good that's superb uh, I've it's got... just a thing I've really ever considered when going into painting I just yeah put some colours on a model and see what I like and go over it if I need to but this is really useful because you could very easily match that stuff to GW paints or mixing as I do yeah it strikes me that what's particularly useful about that colour theory stuff um, and obviously some people have a lot of that inherently but actually knowing what the complementary colours are or the tertiary colours are is going to be very helpful if you're um, thinking about moving into grand alliances with the um, and taking extra stuff as allies and what have you yeah. because actually you may not want to put um, your stormcasts that are in with your other army um, in the same exact colour scheme but if you can find those complementary <laughs> colours and um, as you say with gold being yellow if you can find maybe I don't know yellow um, clump for the bases on specific models and, and tie it together in that way you should mm. you should be able to use that. Um, are you generally picking triadic colours then, just to so, the um, theory on this website? If yeah, the, the two I normally use, there's a tri there's two triangles, there's an equilateral so the, triangle and an isosceles triangle. Yeah. Um and I the 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 um the equilateral triangle guides you towards red yellow blue or red green blue. The yeah. isosceles one I find more fun. Yeah, so the, the the isosceles generally seems to, just based on clicking it, have two that are close and then one complete far out that's still complementary in some way, whereas the other, the complete uh, triadic, as they call it, is just a red-green-blue equal distances apart from the, from mm. the triangle. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. It's a really cool thing. Um, Anyway, I was just playing with that. Yeah, that's no, that's fun. great. <laughs> um, if you want to hear more from Andy about painting, there's also a really brilliant video um, when you were talking to Mitzi and Jimbo over at Adepticon, which had uh, oh, yeah. a few interesting things on. So um, I'm not, I don't think we mentioned Mitzi and Jimbo before. Um, Narrative Kings, both very good painters as well. They have a YouTube channel. Yeah. Um, go and check it out. Yeah, definitely. So we're back. We're going to uh, talk a bit about open gaming for the last segment, today, um, as we always do, um, but something a little bit different, so uh, hopefully all of you that, are, that have been following our D&D exploits over the first couple of weeks uh, are interested to now have Kazan in the building. In the house. <laughs> Andy's character, uh, his dwarf ranger, is. Uh, so you're going to be going through uh, Kazan's backstory the ideas that you had when you were making the character and then what sort of what, what came in and uh, I mean relative to anywhere that we've been in Barovia this recording studio is a particularly nice house there's no blood I can't see any <laughs> knives uh, and there are very few ghosts unless you've got any night haunt in your back <laughs> no no uh, but before we go into that I think uh, we're just going to talk about I wanted us to have a quick go into board gaming and what we uh, for 10 minutes or so what we've yeah. been doing recently and I, I mean I used to run board games night back when me and Amit used to live in the bachelor pad it was the best um, place every week eating Chinese and then playing some board games for an evening um, we've kept it up a bit this year but it's but it's dropped a bit in favour of D&D sometimes but I um, got lucky and uh, managed to play a game of Rune Wars over the weekend, oh, the other sweet. weekend, 
which if you don't know Rune Wars, it's the biggest board that you can ever put down of massive hex tiles with mountains built into it. Three-dimensional? Yeah, like 3D mountains that you plug in under the hexes. No way. It's really cool. <laughs> oh my god. Um, so you'll build a massive map and then you take one of four different races and you're all... So it's in the uh, Fantasy Flight... Yeah, four. Yeah, which four? Uh, the four are undead, elves, humans, and like corn demons, kind of. To okay. Give an AOS uh, idea. But it's all in the Fantasy Flight Games Descent universe. Oh, right. I didn't realize that, actually. Yeah. 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 So it's in there. They have a, a whole like split section of games. And but the miniatures in the same scale. Yeah. Uh, the miniatures are smaller scale. The heroes are the same scale. Right. So the okay. heroes are 28 mil. The other ones are 15 mil. Cool. Yeah, so it's really it's really great. You effectively you each have like a start territory around the board, um, and you you're trying to get the most dragon gems or dragon stones by that's, the end of the game. That seems like a reasonable objective to me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Matt sitting here in his Welsh uh, yeah, t-shirt with a dragon on it, and I've just been running dragons all weekend. So yep. yeah. Uh, so you get these by effectively you start with two. Um, but and a fake one so there's an interesting thing in the game where effectively whenever you get a dragon gem you have to put it on a hex on the map and by controlling that hex you have it but whenever you get one you get a real one and a fake one and you can put them in territories you control Ooh. so you can like fake people out in terms of where you've put real ones and fake ones to make them try and come and get territories so obviously the main way that you take uh, new gems is going and attacking other people's bases but the other way is like completing quests, uh, completing objectives that are order-based. So the humans and the elves have different objectives to the demons and the undead. I see. So yeah. So there's a deck of like good objectives and evil objectives. Um, evil and humans other... and elves, good demons and undead. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly as as you would expect it to be. Yeah. Well, right. I, um, I played World of Warcraft. So we, we managed to get a game of this with me, Owen, Simon, and Seb. Oh, cool. Uh, the other day, uh, the other last weekend, I was playing the humans. Yeah, that's right. Humans. Evil who, humans. No. Good humans, Adam. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so effectively, I, me and Seb basically have a bit, had a bit of a fight. Seb was playing the undead. And he had loads of necromancers, and they have a special ability where when you fight each other, you effectively draw cards instead of rolling dice. And if loads of the special icon comes up for that particular type of unit, then his necromancers summon more skeletons into the fight. And he got that quite a lot. Does that interact at all with your army? So as you lost fighters, does he gain them? The way that you do it is you both... So there's like an initiative order in the fight. Okay. And so my fast stuff goes like archers go first and then um, you just go and you go until all of the objectives is done. And then you determine who has the hex based on who has the most units left at the end. So if some of his like late tech game stuff like initiative step four out of five or something is just summoning him new skeletons onto the board. And you've already attacked. I've already done all my attacking. I've killed a fair amount of his stuff, but there's so many skeletons that he's doing damage with them. <laughs> it's and a then, theme for today, so many skeletons. Yeah. So many skeletons. That eventually, like, so Seb was trying to wipe through my my home territory. Got a, He actually, like, stole one of my heroes. So at the same time, you've got, like, heroes that are questing around the board uh, trying to get you other objectives that then help you to get dragons gems. Yeah. 
Seb managed to bribe one of my heroes to go onto his team, who then um, started just wreaking havoc around the middle of the board and got him another Dragonstone. There was another fight on the other side of the board happening between Owen and Simon, um, which I'll talk about a bit more at some point. But it was really, it was really, it sort of split into two fights effectively. Yeah, so me and Seb. I mean, if it's a big board, went, it was one tile too big. So I've written myself a note for the game for the next time we play it. Just leave one more tile out. Okay. So the first person that gets to put a tile down, they don't get to put one down on the second go through. Right. Yeah. So I think that's I think that's the right way to play it because it just makes that map that little bit smaller so that you have to fight with everybody mm-hmm. and everybody. But it was really cool. Um, so uh, do you need your models painting? I, I I think I'd like them to be like quick painted and dipped at some point. But you've got enough oh. Owens board games to do. <laughs> just use the word dip. Use the word dip for a board game. Spot spot the guy who's got a who's got a month of August to uh, to get loads of work done. Yeah, it's true. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like that happened last year. Yeah, <laughs> good. Um, that sounds really cool. Uh, it sounds like a, it was a, it a Warcraft three style about, board game. Yeah. About, about like five or six hours to play it. Wow. Okay. Yeah, maybe five. I mean, that's less than the Game of Thrones board game by seven years. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> it is great. It's a great game. Cool. Uh, do you want to go through? Yeah. Um, I was thinking about this one. Obviously, I've played lots of Settlers of Catan, but everyone will know about that. Um, I. Um, particularly have enjoyed recently playing Seven Wonders, um, which Matt owns. Um, and, yeah, um, which you I, must have been introduced to uh, at my at board, board gaming. Games, yeah. yeah, that's right. And subsequently, uh, so my sister's big into board gaming as well. Um, just got a flat in Leicester and she was like, I don't know how many board games that aren't like Scrabble and Monopoly and Broken because they're from mum and dad from like 40 yeah. years ago. And whilst those can be fun, obviously they're also terrible and not as good as modern um, board games. Uh, also, my parents are very good at Scrabble, so that's kind of boring for everybody. <laughs> um, so I bought her uh, Seven Wonders for Christmas because um, th- had we played it at when we went to Sheffield yes. Slaughter? Yeah, yeah. We I brought a couple of board games up because we were going quite early on the Friday yeah. to stay with your parents. And then I don't remember if it was Sheffield Slaughter it. or that one day or in Leeds, but. It, was one of, one them, of those. And we just decided that it was worth just going up early and playing some board games with your yeah. family. And basically, you're assigned one of the. Correct me if I'm wrong here, Max, because you've played it a few more times than me. You're, you're assigned one of the kind of ancient civilizations or cities um, from. One of the of, wonders. One of the wonders, yeah. indeed. Um, but And you basically build it up. Um, and you, it's almost like a city running game. Uh, and there's an expansion where you get like generals and, and things as well. Uh, and I think it's a two player, like dual version of the game yeah, too. Yeah. But the core game essentially you can go super military or you can do loads of research and um, science and you can Tree go hugger. culture. Yeah, all, all those kind yeah. of things that. Um, you know, everybody loves doing. Um, so it's it's really interesting, and you basically play the first round clockwise. So I would play. Uh, you don't know how we're sitting, but I'll describe it to you. I would play, then Andy would play, then Matt would play, and it would come back to me. Um, and then the second round, it, uh, the second age. So you have three ages within the game. Yep. Um, you actually uh, pass the cards you have the to remember to pass the cards the other way around. So yep. you, you draw a deck. Um, you can take, I think it's one card most one of the card. time um, that you and then you play. Um, you play face down and then you pass the deck on. Everybody plays a card, you reveal them. Um, there's a resource mechanic as well, whereby you have some inherently you can trade with your neighbors. Um, yeah. You can also, I think, steal from your neighbors with certain cards. Um, 
Some I mean, make I see, it yeah. cheaper. Yeah, some make some it, make it cheaper, some yeah. make it better. Um, and you use that to build different types of architecture within your city, which is why I described it as cities. And your ultimate aim is in building up the levels of your wonder. And on the board, it's essentially the Pyramid of Giza, and you've got those kind of uh, pyramidic steps as the ages go on. Um, yeah. But you can have the Colossus of Rhodes, etc., etc. Um, and it's actually pretty quick. Once It's quite complex, but it's pretty quick to play through the second and third time. Yeah. Um, we've uh, the three or four times I've played it, we've done two or three games in the evening. It's like um, thirty minutes, forty minutes, yeah. kind of. Now what I particularly like about it as a game as well is it's got two kind of difficulty streams within the game. So if you are experienced with it, you can flip the board over that you have because you have a personal kind of board which gives you more complex objectives that have kind of a higher risk reward and yeah. requires a better understanding of the game. Whereas if you're introducing somebody to a game or perhaps if somebody's not played in a while or isn't traditionally a gamer, there's that easiest stream of um, objectives to complete. So they're kind of maximum points maybe fewer, but they're easier to gain. And I think that's kind of smart design um, and adds to a lot of replayability as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, I The main reason that I really like it in my collection is just having a seven player game. Sure, it's yeah, really that does like, happen sometimes. Straight out the box. And if you've got a, you just need a seven player, like more yeah. than four. And if you have it's a really table difficult. big enough to play uh, Rune Wars, then you can fit seven people yeah, that's around. True. That's pretty easy. Great, uh, Andy, do you want? Yeah, I would just I I would I would be very um, cursory in it and kind of more look at my aspirations at the moment. I've got um, a partially run through Pandemic Season One and Pandemic Season Two, which are both amazing. Oh, they are um, great. And and now that Adam's in in my apartment, maybe we'll have critical mass to have people over and get stuff done, which would be super cool. That would be good. Um, I got a free cop in quotes free bunny ears um, a box of Star Trek Ascendancy. Oh yeah, which, um, which at Adepticon, it's a very big box, <laughs> <laughs> like coffin box, like like Rune Wars size yeah, box. Yeah. Oh wow! Um, and use that as a TV stand for a while, or if I imagine that. <laughs> It was under my TV for a while. Yeah. Right. Not like it's it was in a stack. trick of the brain. Carry on. Um, and I've listened to very randomly um, listened to um, David Whitech talk about it on Garage Hammer because yeah. he loves it. Oh, cool. And he keeps going bonkers about how good a game is and how deep it is. But I think it is a kind of a four hour plus game, certainly the first time. What's the like 30 second? Um, it's a, it's a self-constructing map of systems and um, warp lanes between them, mm. where you have it's three-player only three-player star systems. Um, yeah, right, so right, okay. three-player uh, Federation Klingons and Romulans. You can expand it, I think, to four or five with Kardashians. 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 <laughs> oh, yes. Wrong. Meet, meet the Kardashians. Crustaceans. I do whatever. not want to play this game. Um, those guys um, in Deep Space Nine. Um, and you basically have a map that you start off with <laughs> three three systems in opposite corners of the board and you, you explore the middle of the board from scratch. So you build your own system map as you explore and play. And it's kind of 4X. Explore, extreme. Yeah. Um, so it's ascendancy in the sense of you have to go up a tech tree and once yeah, you get to the yeah, top the of the tech tree... the whole kind of like civilization yeah. thing. But uh, okay. then you're fighting the other people as well. Correct. Right. Is that suggesting that then the Kardashians are the peak of civilization? Because I feel like this year's been bad enough. No, definitely. Okay, definitely good. Not. 
Well, not they are certainly aliens. That sounds really cool. I'd love to get a game of that in one weekend. That yeah. sounds, sounds amazing. Yeah. Apo- apologies to all those Star Trek people who are now screaming at me for naming them wrong, but anyway. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, that was my favourite moment of today. And <laughs> <laughs> like, not just recording the podcast, but generally today. Yeah. I, I'm pleased to have given you that gift. It's very kind of you. Excellent. That sounds really cool. Uh, so let's go. Let's go on to our D and D short segment um, on on our on our great Kazan. 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 Um, Kazan. Kazan. Um, I, I would I would first offer a segue from the narrative section here because I think I think when we first started talking about um, the Angel Podcast format and having open and having D and D in there, that we, we had some discussions in the group about how they fitted together um, and, I, and I would offer my theory on that which is that um, apart from the fact D&D is great fun and I, and I really enjoy playing in it and, and haven't, haven't played it for years but I've, I mean Matt, Matt's a fantastic GM and um, it's a great group, group of people to pull together every two weeks and sit down and just have a bit of a laugh and yeah. Noodle Street uh, and Noodle Street <laughs> Um, for those who live in East oh, London, I think we could be sponsored by Noodles. <laughs> oh I'm going to look that, into that. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Winner, winner, chicken, sweet and sour dinner. Yeah. Um, and for me, it, what it what it gives me is it's actually given me some kind of a practice, if you like, in in bringing themes into my armies in terms of sitting there and thinking about the development of a character mm. helps me in my engineer driven brain um, to think about how I can engineer themes and ideas into into my armies cool um, and I think there is there is a synergy between those things and how you think about what you're doing and putting it on the table and putting a story behind it so so Kazan um, where did he come from um, uh, the short one liner on that is probably wow yeah. Um, because when I first played WoW, World of Warcraft, for those who have been asleep for the last 15 years, um, in the world of computer games at least, um, I played a Dwarf Hunter. Uh-huh. Um, and and that was always my main character in that, and I always quite liked the style of play. Um, so when we came to... Um, when we came to stuff 10 levels higher than you and really annoying everyone in PvP. Uh, yeah. yeah. The, 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 the. <laughs> um, so when it came to D&D, um, that was one of my inspirations. The other was um, when I was growing up, I had, had many inspirational conversations with my uncle who, who used to play a Dwarf Ranger in D&D when he was a kid in the original, original, like... Yeah, Red the, Box. Yeah, the Red Box. Before Red Box. No, no, the, the, the original AD&D. Um, yeah, with the with the big red blobby yeah, thing yeah. on the cover of the DM's yeah. handbook and stuff, uh, DM's guide. So is that the um, one they use in Stranger Things? Yes, yes, I think so. When it all went a bit bonkers, yeah. rules wise. Yeah. Demogorgon. Anyway, um, so so those were my two inspirations. So I went and looked to the ranger, and we looked to the group, and I had a little bit of think about it, and decided that although I I really enjoyed the idea of a ranger, ranged rangers were a bit pansy. Um, so wanted to go a bit melee and with the compliment of Marionung being a more protective oriented paladin struck me that there was a, at, the, at the time we didn't have any rogues in the group we've picked up some some rogues some rogues, rogues with like both a rogues, lowercase yeah. r and also an uppercase r in, in, yeah. in italics yes <laughs> yep. um so we picked them up along the way, but at the time we had a party that we had we had a, a ranged buffer, a ranged DPS, again mm. in using WoW terms, 
and it and it felt to me that it delivered more balance if I was standing alongside um, Marion Young as a melee character who gives benefits to the person he's standing next to. It struck yep. me as a bit silly to have someone who gives that benefit, but no one's actually standing next he's to him. He's literally just standing in front of casters or something. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so it made sense to synergize it that way. Um, my original vision of the character was um, as a as a warhammer and shield dwarf. Um, those were his original weapons. Um, yes. Yes. As <laughs> as we progress through the game, um, two significant things happen to the character, which I think you've touched on about in other things, and I'll just touch on quite quickly here. The first one was I quite early on um, fumbled the tower mechanic, um, which Matt runs in the games, which is a great way to introduce some extra... Jeopardy and psychology. Tension is what I call yeah. it, but abject it's... fear is. What we <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I session is Oh my goodness! <laughs> That's I mean, why I can't remember what happened because I spent the whole session just looking at the table with like my hands inside my mouth, screaming yeah. silently. Um, for, have, you, have you ever heard? Of, have you ever played Paranoia? Yes. No. Par- Paranoia is a, is a role playing game. It's amazing. It's, it's based in the future, and it's basically like Cthulhu, but it's all paranoia psychology rather than insane yeah just going mental right um so um that kind of um it, it brings that kind of dynamic to me that that fear of it yeah so um, I actually uh, i stole it from a call of cthulhu game that i did at gen con oh wow in, yeah 2012 or something yeah kickstarter mm. yeah. kickstarter and um, board games yeah, yeah. um so um i had the pleasure of knocking over the tower um, at a particularly pivotal point early in the campaign that yep. left me addicted to pies. Um, <laughs> dream pastries. Dream pastries. The pies, as the um, group has started calling so I'm, them. So I'm the dwarf that wants to eat all the pies. Yeah. Which these aren't just pies. These are, these are uh, dream pastries that send you into a... Heroin like in stream yeah, state, and importantly, happiness. are prepared with like the ground up bones of children. Oh yeah, yeah. Which everyone seems to have of forgotten, course. and they're just like, "Hey, do you want a pie?" But they taste nice. Well, okay. <laughs> um, yep. Barovia is a bad, bad place. So off the off the back of that, I developed him with a slightly addictive personality. I think inadvertently, while I was possibly being slightly gamey in a in a in a mansion house in one of the central towns northern um, london right um yeah um in valaki um i was searching around for something something interesting in in a dining room um and matt very um flippantly said oh you found a really interesting spoon so i started bringing a pork pie and a silver spoon um, to the sessions because I had a lucky spoon that Matt had found for me in one of the mansions. Yep. Um, so kind of trying to take the addictive personality to the extra level. Hopefully I might get cured soon. Um, but it also gave me an excuse to be a little bit unhinged. Um, yeah, Matt's going to tell you. It also gave me an excuse to be a little bit unhinged. So we then, the adventure carries on. We ended up in an encounter on a hillside that was a little bit tense uh, for and those of you who are listening a couple of weeks ago, this is when we first met with Count von Strahd. Um, yeah. Von Zarevich. In, indeed. Yeah. And, and at the start of that combat, um, while craving pies, um, and I, I, I wonder whether Matt had built some kind of cool dialogue that was going to happen at the start of this encounter. 
and the pies got the better of me. I heard someone whispering <laughs> oh, yeah. in my ear, and I ran over and just started smacking my hammer up against gravestones, which it transpires. Um, there was a talking spear inside one of them, which is cool. So I ditched my hammer, and I now spend quiet evenings talking to my spear. Yeah, yeah, which we all just kind of let you get on with, yeah. which is fine. This is what Barovia does to well-designed characters, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I mean, just completely throws a spanner in the works, right? It's it's a bit of a crazy world. Thank God Boswell's holding us all together. He's not the boss. <laughs> he definitely thinks he's the boss. I'm just saying. Um, according to my character, he absolutely is the saviour of all people, but mostly maidens and me. Yeah. Yeah, so you've... Uh, have you found that Kazan has really changed from what you what you thought he was going to be? Obviously, with those two major things, but have you ended up playing him differently? Um, I, I mean, I I walked into it with an open mind. I honestly, I didn't know where he where he was going to go. Um, I've I've never really thought of myself as a high end kind of the, the kind of guy that can sit there before the campaign ever starts and go right. I've got a dwarf ranger and he's going to be this and he's going to you know he. You know, he, he had a sister who died in his arms when she was very young, mauled by a bear or something like that. Those kind of things don't come to me. I'm a bit sure. more um, kind of take it on the fly. And take I think the moment, yeah. your style of GMing has really helped kind of nurture my ability to pull that character through and make it more interesting. I would agree. And I think also the setting, as Matt was saying just now, the setting really lends itself to this will have a big effect on my character going forwards. Yeah. Um, and become a driving force as well. And there's yeah. a lot of there's a lot of powerful pulls at the characters within the world. Helps that I'm super stabby. Yeah. <laughs> My goodness, are we doing some damage now? I cannot wait to level up before the session on Thursday, which will yeah, be in yeah. the past while you're listening Both to this. You need, but in to, the future need for to be us. level six yeah, to do at some point, don't you? Yeah. Which is when things we kill all things the things. Really start start ramping up at some point. I'm not sure when this campaign's actually gonna gonna end up closing itself off it depends on entirely what you guys do I think Barovia can take you up until about level 12 or 14 but it depends on where we actually take well we have a we have a marker in the sand for the 15th and 16th of September when that we're going to go the play. group is coming up to my place and we're doing a weekend of it so that could be the crescendo but it doesn't by no means does it have to be yeah we'd probably get a bit more in at that point won't we but that's how many more how many sessions will we get in before that two two or three, three perhaps there's one we miss because I'm away I'm on holiday. Oh, jeez. Well, you can run you it without can't get the It's GM very thing. difficult. <laughs> we cannot run it without you. <laughs> yeah. Just just have a nice chat around the campfire. Hey, Matt, we wandered around and fought some things and leveled. <laughs> yeah, we killed so many. It was amazing. We went to the forest and we killed boars yeah. <laughs> for a weekend. Now we're level 14 I got, and we go I got, and meet the vampire. <laughs> I got high on pies and attacked 10 tree lords, which might have just been trees, but let's not talk about <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, let's just call them tree lords. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, that's really good. Thanks very much for, for coming and talking about Kazan in a bit more detail. It's really good. Yeah. Um, cool. Um, just to tag on to the end of uh, what we're, we're talking about, um, in terms of board games, I'm increasingly impressed with the Games Workshop ones. Um, yeah, that's true. I'd, I'd that's really like to get a playthrough of uh, Silver Tower through properly, and um, I'm eating my words in a big way here, but I have been corrupted into Shadespire. Yeah, I was going to say earlier, Adam, I hate Shadespire, it's a dreadful game, Kunis, was naming the Corn Warbands perfectly earlier. Yeah, um, I bought two more Warbands. Did you? Um, I'm going to be running Skaven, and um, I will, I'll happily admit that I've changed my mind, just yeah. as I used to love Blood Bowl, and it's not currently something I'm interested in. But, That's um, a big man. Yeah. Okay, that sounds great. We can talk about it at a later point. Yeah, you can sure. try and convert me to Shadespire. 
Okay. <laughs> what we could do um, is uh, I've got my because I because I've got a set up north as well. Actually, we could get them off Donald, but if I get my spare set of boards, we could do a three or four. I've never done a three or four player shade spire. Yeah, and it, that could be it, fun. It could be quite a blast actually, and a great way to introduce people with no with Con- no agenda. Considering Matt, along with Mo and a couple of others, uh, was <laughs> one of the people who played four-player Blood Bowl at the first Super Bowl. That was the best. What are you talking about? That was the greatest thing. That was me, me, Mo, Owen, and Dave Napier. Yeah, a game, two of whom could have podiumed, (laughs) never mind. Um, I feel like a game that's actually designed for multiple players could be really interesting. At this point, for the viewers at home, Matt has defensively leant back in his chair and crossed his arms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. <laughs> it was really good. I didn't. I wasn't actually up for a podium. I just can't. Has Dave ever said <laughs> <laughs> uh, There we go. Um, yeah. Great. Well, we'll sign off. Yeah. All that remains to be said, I guess, is. Um, Thanks to uh, Sound Mouse for hosting us again. We're in the upstairs studio uh, yeah. today, which has got We've moved again. It's also got nice guitars in it and R2D2. Yeah, I um, don't know where they got that from. But there we go. Uh, thanks again to Jay Channer for the recording equipment yeah, and the jingles, um, yeah. which uh, obviously were a new addition last episode. Um, if you've got any thoughts about the content um, or want thoughts. Us to do anything in any of the segments or want yeah. to talk more or less detail about matched play when it's events, any scenarios you'd like to know while we're not talking about events, how that would well, like to You're going to have Pompey Pillage to talk about soon, aren't you? Uh, I think we record again before that. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. I think the next episode will be out on the Sunday of Pompey Pillage, so maybe that'll Fair be your enough. drive home. Nice. If you're going to Pompey. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah, so we'll let us know via all of the normal means. We're on iTunes now, so leave us a review. Yes, um, thank you. Or however you normally listen to us, if you can pop us a review on iTunes, it's always appreciated. Uh, Twitter is at Angel Wargamers two thousand seventeen. Sure. I think that's very last year. I feel like that's. It the, is very last year. Yeah. I feel like that's the password rather than <laughs> <laughs> the actual Twitter no, it's handle. Not the password. I know the password. Okay, good, because I don't and need to put it on my iPhone again, but yep. there we go. Um, well, Andy, thanks for coming on. We'll my pleasure. We'll definitely have you yeah, on again. Um, and uh, I'm really looking forward to Thursday and more D&D, mm. so we'll see you after that. Brilliant. Thanks, guys. Bye.